This is the Author Archive podcast. Often on this podcast, you will hear interviews that have been sitting on a dusty shelf for some time. But this one is brand spanking nude. It's a new novel from a newly published writer. Clementine Taylor, something about her. Um, brand new. Was this a long, long, tortuous process, Clemmy? <laughs> you know, it was long, but it wasn't torturous. Um, it was... I mean, it's been a while since I started it. So I started writing it five years ago, which I can't even believe saying it, um, in a dusty attic room in Cambridge. And um, it, it took me about two years to get a full first draft of the book. And I was writing on and off, uh, you know, along with life and jobs and things like that. Um, and then it was about a few, it took me a few months to get an agent and then a long time to get a publishing deal, which um, I think is becoming more and more normal um, for it to take a long time to get a publisher. So, yeah, it's been about five years in total since starting. Um, but I have loved every part of the process in a different way. One of your characters towards the end of the book says, I know how I understand things. I route about them. So is this some sort of therapy? Have you have you managed to understand yourself and the world by writing this? That's a great question. Um yeah, I I think that with writing there's always from well for me in this writing this book there were definitely elements of catharsis and I there were inevitably parts of me and the characters um, that I was writing about. So it centers around these two young women, Maya, who's from West London, uh, and Ashling, who is from County Clare, and they meet at Poetry Society at the University of Edinburgh. Um, and I definitely think that there are elements of me in both of in both of the women, both of the young women. But at the same time, they kind of evolve throughout the writing process into completely independent people outside of you. And I think that was such a joy for me to experience um, as a new writer was that was that feeling of getting to know these people who are separate, who have parts of you within them, but are separate to you. Yeah, because one of the and weird so, things, yeah. one of the weird things is at the end of the book, you thank your parents, you thank your big sister, you thank your agent and all of that. And then you thank your two main characters. And I just think, come on, Clemmy, you invented them. <laughs> but they feel like real people to me. And it is honestly, I, I I think I say in that part, I say, I know this sounds crazy to say this, but I have to say it because it's true. They feel like completely separate people to me. Um, and they feel like my friends who I've kind of just gone to hang out with um, as I've been writing. <laughs> so I love spending time with them. And I think then as the book gets published, you have this process of going, OK, you're not, you know, they meet your agent and then they meet your editor and like the whole publishing team. And then when the book gets published, they're kind of free to meet whoever picks picks up the book. And so I think it's kind of been also coming to terms with the fact I have to let them go you know someone described this to me the other day as dropping your kids off at the school gate and being like you be good and <laughs> you have a nice time but I'm not you know I'm not looking after you anymore well yeah. you say that but at the end of the book as a reader you think how is this going to work out mm. and you leave it on a cliff edge you, you don't say what's yeah. going to happen so there could be another book 
featuring these same people. There definitely could. And people have asked me this and I have thought about it. Um, and But at the same time, I think that the end of the book is like that. Um, I mean, obviously I did it on purpose that way to leave a big cliffhanger and I won't put too many spoilers in this in case people do decide to read the book. But um, it's very ambiguous what happens at the end intentionally. Um, and, you know, it's really a mechanism of saying, what role do we as readers play in creating these narratives of books? And what assumptions have we built up throughout? And whose voice are we hearing more of? All of this kind of thing. And I think that that was really something that I wanted to to draw out of the book as well as the fact that, um, you know, as well as their stories and everything that they've been through as young women at this time of their life. Another character that appears in the book is Edinburgh. Now, yes. did you, you did you go to university in Edinburgh? Um, I didn't, but I'm completely in love with it. And I'm so pleased, David, that you said it's another character because I, I so often refer to Edinburgh as the third protagonist in this book because it is a a love affair my love affair with Edinburgh started when I uh, started going to the fringe in 2013 and I don't think apart from Covid I've ever not been to Edinburgh for the fringe and at least once (laughs) one other time during the year because I'm so besotted with it as as a place I think it's so special and it it captures all of the elements of the experiences that they're going through I think that was why it was it was so important for me that the book was set there because it has these kind of dark eerie elements to the city and so ghostly and it's and it's got that kind of character to it but it's also got this sort of angelic brightness and beauty to it and I just love that kind of that kind of dual uh character to it that contrast I think it's it's such a special place um And yeah, it definitely is a third character. Do you feel it's a place with energy? I do. I actually have this thing whenever I go to the fringe there, I often describe it as like the air is buzzing with like (laughs) flies or bees or something. You know, it feels like the place is vibrating um, and sort of feeding you with energy. I don't, do you, do you feel that about Edinburgh as well? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I absolutely love it. We're talking to people who haven't a clue who you are, haven't a clue <laughs> about what the book's about. How would you sell it? Who Who is your reader? Right. Uh, you're going to have to bear with me because I am not haven't got the elevator pitch down yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but if I were to sell it, you know, okay, actually, I'm going to start with the second part first to say that I think I read somewhere a few weeks ago that Jeanette Winterson said about um, oranges are not the only fruit that, you know, it kept being labeled as a lesbian novel. Uh, but why? Because it's a novel for everyone. Um, and that, so in terms of my main audience, I think I would hope that yes, there'll be people, you know, um, who will resonate with more, but I hope it's a book for everyone, um, for all adults all adults young adults older adults uh, anyone could pick it up and uh, even if it doesn't resonate with them they'd find it interesting but in terms of how I'd pitch it I think I would say keeping that in mind it is a romance novel about um, two young women who are coming of age discovering things about themselves um, and about falling in love uh, and um, 
yeah, that's it. Maybe that is my elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah, you know, I am. Um, when I was reading it, I kept thinking of Jeanette Winderson and oranges are not the only really? fruit because because I interviewed her way at the beginning when that book was first published mm -hmm. and the disapproval that yeah. these two women experienced and just at the beginning of your book the uh the little bit in ireland where yeah. the parents of the irish girl are so disapproving of her being in a same-sex relationship and it's all wound up with the religion and i thought that's yeah. like jeanette winterson it is and that's that's another thing i'm pleased that you said she is a big inspiration for me i think that book was a big book for me actually um and especially coming about coming from these female characters from this um you know it's now extremely um eminent female author uh, and another big book for me was call me by your name because i think it was also about what i wanted from this book was capturing it in the first person so it's a dual first person narrative the book it, you hear from ashling's perspective and from Maya's perspective and I think that was something that I, I wanted was for you to be really inside their heads. Something like a book like Call Me By Your Name does beautifully is it's in the first person and you really are inside this person's head. It's kind of unfiltered. And so that was, um, you know, another big inspiration for me, but definitely lots of uh, resounding themes with Jeanette Winterson, which I'm very pleased, pleased that you picked up on that because it's um, definitely in my head as well. And the intolerance of mm. that Irish family. Now, you studied religion at university, didn't you? I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Now, um, I <laughs> so I just wonder what your curiosity is, your intellectual curiosity with the whole religious belief thing. Um, and then when I, I mean, it, this bit comes out in chapter two or three or something, it's right there at the beginning. And it's horrible. It, really it is. is. It's awful. Yes. It's awful. <laughs> it is. It's horrid. But I think I wanted that for two reasons. One is that I think it represents something bigger than just the specific actions that are happening in the book. Um, you know, we, we still live in a world where in 70 countries globally, same sex, um, you know, relationships are illegal and where we live in a world where two thirds of people who are LGBTQ plus have been through some kind of abuse. And I think that what I was trying to do was put these horrific acts of, you know, gender and sexuality based violence in the book to represent something bigger. I mean, these acts are like absurdly horrible. They're just, they're grim, um, but they're making a big, a wider point. And, um, and also it's interesting that you say about the fact that I studied it because I think, I didn't quite realize it until after I had the first draft and I went back and thought this has obviously been brewing in my head for yeah. a long time <laughs> yes. because you know I've I, I did the undergrad in theology and religious studies and then the master's in gender studies so it's kind of a meeting of my two big passions um and exploring things that I probably did explore from an academic standpoint but you know I have very um specific memories from that time of studying theology and religion where I don't think I was ever lectured by a single woman during my time doing the undergrad degree and when I would have tutorials on this kind of thing I would often think 
you know, someone should write a novel about this. And while I didn't end up writing a novel about um, what was said in those tutorials, I think it definitely did shape my my sort of deeper consciousness and inner experiences and want want to write something like this. Yeah, because the Irish disapproving mother, she disapproves because she knows she's right. Does she? <laughs> yeah, she thinks she's right. Oh, she thinks she's right. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah, exactly. Because be, and and this is what comes in at the end of the book is that it's this kind of um these very traditional religious beliefs are passed down from generation to generation and therefore they become you you come to embody them and really and really believe them um but also i mean there's elements for the mother that as sean the older brother points out to ashling um near the end of the book there's elements of her own the mother's own suppressed sexuality and it's this kind of self-loathing because of everything she's ever been taught that's making her project it onto her daughter um but you know then also talking about the symbol of the apple I think is relevant here which is obviously on the cover of the book because Ashling uses that which is a very traditional religious symbol you, you know used to think about sin and redemption and things like this but when Ashling talks about it, she says, you know, apple trees, they're different to their parents because they have to fight off different diseases. <laughs> and so really the apple, instead of being used as this kind of traditional symbol of sin, is used as a symbol of rebellion and not having to inherit these kind of traditional religious um, beliefs and indoctrinations that have always been passed, passed down. <laughs> so having written this I mean when I was reading it I always thought I, I'm sure your agent has thought about it but has anyone been to see Netflix yet to sell the book to them <laughs> I, mean, I don't actually know I think you know I I um I did think about this I thought I thought well how the hell are they gonna do the ending <laughs> if it ever got made into a tv program or film I haven't thought about that I don't think I was thinking about it as writing which I guess is a good thing because it's it's a book first and foremost but oh, well, um, I've thought about it it's, it's episodes yeah it. it's, it's episodes <laughs> it's three or four parts and by the time they get to part four you've written the next book so oh, it becomes a so long... it doesn't matter no <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because the the subject matter is so sort of on trend. And I wonder, having written this book, and you say that you are in there in the characters in some way, you took this degree, which I'm sort of fascinated about because I have views on religion as well. Um, not always. I tend to be at the Jeanette Winderson end of things. Um, are you an optimist as you set up, as you're a young woman writer? Are you optimistic? Am I optimistic? I would say in general, I'm an optimist. But I'm, am I optimistic about everything? I don't know. You know, it's been interesting to me to see the initial stages of how the story is being received. And I think it does give me some optimism in that I've had already people reach out to me and say, like, this has resonated with me, which 
really I think if I'm framing optimism in terms of um in terms of my ideal expectations for the book which might not be what you mean but um in terms of that then I would say I am optimistic um but do you mean more in terms of the state of the world in general well I mean I mean (laughs) the state of the world is so intolerant Mm. and I would like to think that your I mean both of your um young women characters are they're sort of user friendly I mean you want them Mm. both to be okay and growing up with with that relationship and those you know it you would hope that life would be good to them yeah yeah you know I think as I said before it's one of these things that this was one of the reasons that I wrote the book was because I wanted it to make I wanted it to resonate with individuals but to make a wider point as well about as you said this intolerance and and elements of violence but also and also to explore just you know all of these things that young women are going through like uh, traumatic events and things to do you know grappling with aspects of their sexuality and friendships and family relationships but to also kind of make this broader point about this intolerance in society and and say like look at these real people who who are being affected and this is just two stories um and you know probably not the worst of the stories that are actually real but it is a kind of I guess it's a way of kind of representing those intolerances and so I guess so far to say is I wasn't optimistic and that was why I wrote it but I'm optimistic that there are good people in the world and that things can change um and you know if this book plays even a kind of is a grain of sand on the beach of of change then I will be very um very pleased about that something about her it's called it's the first novel from Clementine Taylor I hope you have huge success with it Clemmy thanks David thanks for having me it's been such a pleasure